Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to review season three's finale of Star Trek Discovery, That Hope Is You, part two. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies. Starting with the Trek story himself, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing great. I finally broke down and decided to go against my moral code and get Comcast Xfinity Internet Services. So, Ready Room Recording Studios has had a matter antimatter chamber cleaning and recalibration, so we should be good now. Oh, that is freaking awesome. Coming through loud and clear, dude. <laughs> also on the podcast, we have the Stargate story. Jeremy Barrow, how you doing? Well, he made me scrub the warp cell, so I'm not doing great. Well, but... you know, <laughs> well somebody got to do that lower decks work, you know? Yeah, somebody's, oh, somebody's oh. got to do the grunt work. Oh, that's all lower decks are good for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Jonathan cringes at the very sound of the words lower decks. <laughs> He really does. Man, listen. Well, anyway, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, some people have been critical about this episode we're about to, about to review, at least some parts of it, mainly the turbo lift scenes. We're going to get into all of that along with every other detail about this season finale of season three. But what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery and somewhat assist of detail in addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and subscribe on whatever platform you're currently listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. So, guys, we're just going to go ahead and dive right into our review of Star Trek Discovery. That Hope Is You Part 2. That Hope Is You Part 2 is the 13th episode of Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on January the 6th, 2021. Maybe the sole episode we're going to get this year, um, which I don't know. I think we're going to get some lower decks possibly, but that may be the only other Star Trek proper show that we, we get. And actually, as I reflect back, man, 2020, we got a freaking lot of Star Trek, man. We, we did, all, yeah. man. A season of Lower Decks, a season of Picard, and uh, almost the whole season of Discovery all in 2020. So, you know. Uh, barring the the um the, the bad thing known as the pandemic, <laughs> at least we got some Star Trek to carry us through just a little bit. Uh, it's going to be a long year, twenty twenty one, man. Oh yeah, we got a long way to go. We're gonna have to start reviewing uh like Enterprise episodes and something. We got to have Star Trek, man. We got to talk Trek throughout the year. Oh, yeah, we we got plenty of back catalog we can dive into. I'm sure we can bring up some themes that we can kind of go with to kind of keep us busy <laughs> until the next season of whatever rolls out. Or maybe one of our loyal listeners have an idea of something they want us to talk about or do or compare or break down and analyze, which we do very well. So Yeah. And, and if they have said suggestion, they can send it in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. Or, you know, hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all of the social medias. So, you know, if you have suggestions, send those right along. So, again, this episode aired on January the 6th this of this year, directed by Alatunde Asensame, who is one of my favorite Star Trek uh, Discovery directors. He also directed this season's opener, uh, that Hope Is You Part 1 and also Far From Home, in addition to to many other Star Trek 
Discovery episodes, especially last season. The story was written by Michelle Paradise, who, ironically enough, also wrote that Hope is You Part One and Far From Home. So maybe they're a writing, directing duo, which I find pretty interesting. Hmm. That could make for some interesting episodes in the future if they keep that up. Yeah. And and that being said, I love the episodes they did. So, hey, uh, might be a great team to to keep it together. (laughs) So uh, a little description of the episode. As the Emerald Chain tightens its grip and the mystery of the burn is finally solved, Burnham and the crew have one last chance to save themselves and the Federation. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. So, Cal Jones is not here. I want to ask, does anyone else have a suggestion of the beats of the episode that they can sum up really quick? If, if, <laughs> if, if not, I might take a stab at it, but I'm leaving it open to you guys first. Oh, well, go for it. I, I, I would have prepared. Yeah, I, I, but... <laughs> I would fail miserably at such a task. I'm interested in what you're going to say. Uh, well, I have nothing prepared either, so I'm going to riff off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> hey, freestyle. Let's do it. Uh, Osiris on the run. Saru makes a new friend. And the Quajanese are the new Stamets. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like it. Hey, I like yeah. it. It works. Yeah, the best I can do on the fly. Don't don't hold me to that. But hey man, <laughs> your freestyle skills are legendary. Oh man, let's go ahead and go around the horn and get everybody's high level opinion of this episode. And let's start with you, Jeremy, from the Ready Room Studios. What do you think? I enjoyed the episode. <laughs> I do have some issues with it, but um. I mean, it was, it was good. It was a good episode. It was a good way to end the season. But I just, there's some issues I'm sure we'll get into here in a bit. And not just the turbo lift. Have those queued up, man. I'm really curious to know what your issues are. Uh, that, that should be an interesting discussion. Jonathan, what about you, man? Listen, this is <laughs> just forming my opinion about this episode is an emotional roller coaster. I, so after first watch, I was overly excited. Like, I absolutely love this episode from top to bottom, except for one small issue, which we'll get to. And then recently I spoke with Jeremy, who pointed out a couple other issues, which then caused me to go back and watch the second time, which most of the time I don't watch a second one. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times on the second run, I pay more attention to detail and then I find myself picking it apart. And what did I do? I picked it apart. So I'm hoping you guys talk me up instead of down throughout this episode. So I will say awesome episode on first watch, second watch. We have issues, man. Oh, I really want to hear you guys' issues because I have a few I have a few, but I don't think they're deal breakers for me overall. I just really, really, really love this episode. But I went to Reddit to check out what the people were talking about on Star Trek. And a lot of people were complaining about the the actual elevator scene. 
because of the open space and the amount of distance they traveled. And, you know, just saying that's highly illogical to have all that open space in a starship. Um, I don't hmm. know if that's true or not, but I can kind of see their reasoning there. We'll, we'll get into it. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. We'll get into it. <laughs> you know, that's a. Uh, uh- so you, we've never really, and I, and I may be wrong, and if you know anyone out there listening, please let me know if I'm wrong. But I don't think we've ever, throughout Trek, actually had any comparison of scale to the actual size of starships. That being said, well, we also never really get to see every from end to out. I mean, except like maybe some diagrams or layouts on a screen. So is it possible? Well, I'll say plausible that that is the case. Uh, but I do get it. Like from what we've seen throughout Trek, like really, there's not that much more space left on these ships. If you count, you know, the bridge and engineering. I mean, we see engineering on most ships and the actual warp core. So you see the size of that warp core there. It, it, it's a scale problem, but we don't really have anything to compare it. So I guess you could call it plausible. Yeah, I'm trying to find the tweet that somebody tweeted, <laughs> and it was kind of explained. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of explained some of this, but I don't know where it was. I read this, but it said that the starship or the living parts of the ship only takes up 35 percent of the volume of the ship. And if you think of that, then it would lead to the, all the open space making more sense. Yeah, but I mean, you look at like <clears throat> Enterprise D, for instance, on TNG, which we know is a galaxy class ship. Uh, so it's pretty much one of the largest ships in the fleet, uh, that we get to see often. But if you look like from the outside looking in, you, what you would assume is all the windows are actually livable areas where people are or else you wouldn't have windows. And those windows are pretty much covering the entire ship. So now do you allow the space of each room and then the hallway between each room and assuming that there's same rooms on both sides? Yeah, I I think we're <laughs> probably just thinking of it all too logically, <laughs> which. OK, let, let me read this little section. I found the actual tweet and this is from Adam Hanalt. And it's actually a excerpt of the 1991 TNG tech manual for the Enterprise. I'm skipped down a little bit. And it says, as the Enterprise left Utopia Planitia fleet yards, approximately 35% of the internal volume was not yet filled with rooms or modules and remained as empty space frame for future expansion and mission specific applications. So I had it reversed. There was out of all the total of the ship, 35% of it was empty or, or empty space, which, you know, that's, that's a lot, actually, if you think about it. Which ship was he referring to? The Enterprise D. Which, again, we, we really don't have like a comparison for scale. So, like, even from my argument of saying, you know, look at all the windows and, you know, all the living space. I mean, we're thinking of it as like a ship, maybe the size of a large house. But I mean, maybe this ship is the size of a small state, you know, Yeah, I, true. <laughs> I yeah, really I, don't know. I see what you're saying. And we just logically in our brain, I think, want it all to be filled with something. 
It just kind of, it kind of hurts my brain to think there's empty space within a ship, you know, and and especially when you think of space now and how we value every kilogram of what's in the payload. It just seems implausible for there to be open air space within a ship. It really just feels weird. So I kind of took the opposite of what Jonathan did. The first viewing is when I had the problem. It was like, why is there all this space in the ship? Why is it? It's pretty. It's a very action-filled, pretty scene. But where's all this space coming from? The second viewing, I was like, I was able to let that go and just enjoy the scene. Yeah, and, and that's hmm. kind, kind of what happened for me. And I guess we just go ahead and talk about the elevator or the turbo lift scene. I just kind of just let it go. Um, they really were just going for, you know, we call the other part to this diehard in space. I think the elevator thing was just a kind of a diehard thing that they were throwing in there. Yeah. But it all worked. And I thought it, with the exception of maybe the implausibility of, you know, the distance, I thought it all was freaking amazing to see. <laughs> but if you could just get out of our brain, this logical, you know, we're talking about a, a fake ship. But the right. logical part of our brain, it goes to the Star Trek logic part of it. Just It just feels weird to, to all kind of make sense in your brain. It's one of those, like, at my house, there's a saying when we watch a movie and something on screen happens that doesn't make sense. Just shut up and watch the movie. And sometimes that's what we have to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. But at, at the same time, and I mentioned this when we very first started this podcast, that the one of the reasons I love Trick So was because pretty much a majority of the ideas and concepts they show are plausible like it's not outside the realm of possibility maybe not in present day but maybe in the future here in discovery since it started they have presented a few things that i just don't really and again so you know there's a lot of things in trick that people said will never happen and it actually happened so who knows but uh, discovery has pushed those boundaries for sure because we've we've come to accept the spore drive that Stamets talks to mushrooms <laughs> and we go to great distances. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And like Jeremy says, shut up and watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which hey, you know, most of my gripes about this episode were things like this going through the second watch. Yeah, so. you definitely start to pick it apart once you go through again. And I did the same thing. I mean. I was just reeling when I watched it the first time. I'm like, this is freaking amazing. But uh, let's go ahead and get to, we'll just go ahead and co- completely talk about the part of the episode that we didn't get. Uh, and this is a tide dot, 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 which is the whole happenings of what's going on on the dilithium planet. So we find that Sakal's last outburst speeds up the radiation leak on the ship, thus giving our way team even, even less time to figure out the cause of the burn and get away from the planet. So as Colbert talks with Saru about a way to reason with Sakal, Adira shows up with medicine within the hollow construct. Now this is like one of the problems I had and, <laughs> and we could talk about it, but, but so Jonathan, Adira explains that she was able to smuggle in the medicine by putting it in her mouth and beaming down further. <laughs> Furthermore, she claims that they were able to listen in on the away team's conversation from Discovery. Are you buying any of that? Because cause I'm not. <laughs> uh, you know, 
<laughs> so the listening into the conversation from Discovery, eh, you know, I can't I can't come up with a good reason why they couldn't, and I can't come up with a good reason why they could. So I kind of they kind of to me kind of you know evened itself out or oh, whatever. The hiding the medicine in the mouth. <laughs> I had a problem with that when she said it. So and understand, I'm really anxious to see this episode. It's the final episode. I really want to love it. I want to end good because we're not going to have any more discovery this year, more than likely. And I just really want this to be good. I had a problem with that, but I had to rectify that in my mind. So in my mind, I said (laughs) the simulation only visually recognizes things that it needs to change. If it cannot visually recognize it, then it will not change it or remove it. And I was okay with that. So it didn't notice this big plastic thing in in their mouth as they beam down. What? Listen, maybe it didn't have like internal scanners to scan like internally. Yeah. It just had, you know, listen, I was trying to make it work. It it didn't make sense. Well, well, (laughs) even furthermore, furthermore, going back to how they look different. So the transporter has to be or the hollow construct has to be smart enough to take their clothes, put them in some pattern buffer and then change their appearance and then give them new clothes. And to me, that itself is weird. But, you know, I'm willing to go with it. But then they break their own rules, kind of, with their putting it, putting this thing in their mouth. But okay, we needed that for the story. I'm fine with it. And I'm I'm still kind of hung up on the reason why. You know, that was what I was about to ask. Did we ever find out why they have to change their appearance? Or is that just something that the holodeck itself does? No, I think it was to make Sukal more comfortable with any foreign person coming into the hollow um, construct. Wouldn't it recognize what they are and just change it accordingly and not just, okay, well, we got three people coming in. Let's change them to these three things that we know he likes. Well, one of them could already be one of those things, you know? Yeah, I agree. Each of the races, the, the those people already were, were not weird races that would have freaked them out. You had a, right. a human, what, two humans and a, and a Kelpian. Those are races he knows. So why do they have to change them at all? All right. Now, what was interesting was uh, Adira, what she was changed to. Yeah, yeah. Did 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 anybody recognize that? What did you know what it yeah, was right off? I, I did. I mean, I had to look up the name. I couldn't remember the name right off, but I did recognize it. I just knew it was Poe. Like I, I, when I seen it, I was like, Ah, oh, Poe, whatever Poe was. <laughs> Zahian. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Zahian. <laughs> but that that's interesting because you know Poe was from a dilithium planet. Mm. And this is a dilithium planet. I looked it up. It's two different named planets. So it would have been cool if it had been the same planet. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a, a great callback to the last season uh, to talk, you know, to have a queen pole race character. Uh, so we get a huge surprise and we see somebody come out of the shadows and it's none other than Gray, who appears to be Vulcan. What a freaking unbelievable shock to me when when Cobra actually can see and talk to Gray. Jeremy, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Gray, you know, being out and open and being part of the construct? How How is this possible? 
that was my thing. It was like, why? Well, I can if he's there and only Adira can see him. That's I can get that. But how is everyone able to see him? Because he's like he said, he's non-corporal himself. So how is he able to appear before everyone? And then so that in itself just kind of defeated my logic behind accepting the peel and mouth thing, because now we know it can't just be visual sensors because it's sensed gray, which wouldn't have been visual. Uh, so if it could pull a freaking thought out of a deer's head and make it physical, it should have been able to catch the peel in her mouth. Well, well, let me let me say this. It may have something to do with the whole joining. We know the joining of Adira and the trio was done by robots. I'm not saying robots can't do it well, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe something with didn't, you know, gel just right, which may be the reason why Adira can see gray in the first place. And, and maybe also the reason why we can see gray in this construct. Now, I think it's pretty cool for future implications. Because I believe, you know, I was talking about um, I was talking about the entity data getting a hollow emitter. I can see Gray getting a hollow emitter and being like a member yes. of the crew. Yes. That would be freaking amazing. And we already know that Voyager is in this time frame, in this timeline. That was a good shout out, by the way. Yeah, that Voyager. was a good shout out. I enjoyed out. that. I wasn't going to get to that till we got to that. But yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, that that was my first thought when uh, I was thinking, "Yep, mobile emitter for Gray." <laughs> so, are we to assume? Are you? So, is your track of thought, Clarence, is that maybe Gray actually exists and just for some reason is not visible? Like it's he's actually physical, but just not visible. Is what you're saying? I, I don't. I don't think he fully exists, but maybe something went wrong with the consciousness in the joining because we know this is the first human joining that really took for a sustained amount of time so maybe that could be have something to do with why it's, the consciousness is overpowering or something that gel just right i think we want to talk about that more in season two i really season four i really do four yeah, four. I wow. hope so. I hope so, because we we need some more basis for Adira being there. I, I like her. I like them, uh, but you know we need some more for that character to continue. Yeah, yeah. Because she kind of. Oh, I'm sorry. Because they kind of came out of nowhere, and you know, all of a sudden are an, an important part of the crew, apparently. So, <laughs> so Saru continues to try to foster this relationship with Sukal. And before I go on, I just want to say freaking uh, you mentioned this last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, Jeremy. But Bill Irwin is freaking amazing as a call. <laughs> I really didn't pay as much attention to the nuances of his performance, but he was just amazing in this episode to still be able to exude that childlike innocence on screen. I just thought he was freaking fantastic in this episode. And, you know, he pairs really well with Doug Jones, too, because Doug Jones has become a master of those facial expressions. Even, you know, through all the prosthetics that he's worn through his career of just through body language and through through motion, conveying all these emotions. So they they really worked well together. Yeah, it was it was freaking amazing. I could watch those two act all day, <laughs> which we might get an episode of their next season since, you know, what happens with Saru by the end. But. But I, I want to get into this explanation of the burn. I know last time we were left like 
huh? What? <laughs> so, so Colbert suspect, suspects that to call is what he's calling a polyploid. So when normal chromosomal separation is disrupted in utero, causing genes to be affected by its environment, in this case, massive amounts of dilithium, causing him to be genetically connected to dilithium's subspace component. So the burn is a cool scream traveling at the resonant frequency of dilithium's subspace component. Are we happy with that explanation? And I'm going to jump with that because I know I know you have major problems with the the uh, scream heard around the galaxy <laughs> a few episodes ago. <laughs> I mean, my opinion hadn't changed. Either. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm still having trouble with it causing the burn. I don't know. I, I guess I would have been more happy. I would have been happier. I don't know, man. I, I like it's just kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And I accept Colbert's explanation. Like, I get it. Yeah, that works. He's interconnected with the dilithium planet. He's affected by the environment around him. Therefore, things are connected. So things, you know, reactions and all that happen. I get it. And yes, if he's very emotional and he screams or whatever the case may be, it could affect the dilithium. But how? I don't know, man. I just don't see enough power being generated to disrupt dilithium across the galaxy. Well, I think the power is in a dilithium itself. Cause even Sarusa said, well, I think no, Colbert said, once we get away from the planet, you won't have this type of, it was, it won't have the same impact on you. But even when a planet, when a star goes supernova, the ship only backs up like 200,000 kilometers uh, and but- supernova should be like one of the most expensive, most powerful oh, reactions. No. no, the Hobus supernova when it uh, when the Hobus star exploded, it destroyed a whole. I mean, it, it destroyed all the Romulan it space. Destroyed the whole star system, didn't it? Yeah, Romulan space, but not the galaxy. And it threatened Vulcan and space. Well, I, and you're I, still talking supernova. We're we're talking a child on a planet, and I guess I mean a dilithium planet. But I, maybe if the dilithium planet would have exploded. But then maybe maybe it's something different when it's happening in subspace. And I guess that's what I'm not accounting for. Yeah, well, because Adira mentioned vibrating in subspace. And one thing that, I mean, I keep, hate to keep throwing wrenches in it, but does, sound doesn't really travel in space, does it? Not that I didn't think so. I but don't know. Again, we're talking about subspace. Yeah, true, true, true. And, and, and so we know. In order to get things, communication array and all that, like further, like they always use subspace, yeah, like subspace, subspace communication. Yeah. So that, that, that always makes sense. gets there faster and further. So it, it, it's plausible. I, I, I guess my, my disappointment, I'm just disappointed in the explanation. I've built myself up. I've built the thought up that it was going to be something so. Well, they kind of built us up for that too. Yeah. And it kind of let us down. So no, I think it, I think it's growing on me. I think it really growed on me, and I really did not have the same feeling as I had a couple of days ago when I watched this episode when they dove into it a little bit further. Um, so so we also get like the actual moment of the burn. We get like a hollow projection of of that actual moment. Uh, any further thoughts from you guys on that? Because again, like for me, it it actually made me accept it just a little bit more. Uh, 
But any thoughts on that? I, hey, guys, sorry that I was late, but I'm here now, and I think I jumped in at a perfect moment. So I was listening to you guys talk, and this scene right here, so when he walked in, the first thing I thought of was, what could it have been that would have made a child throw a tantrum to that effect? And I said, okay, he sees his mother die. You know, yeah. he sees his mother dead or he sees his mother dying. And then that happens. And then I put myself in his shoes. If you are a toddler and you know you're the only thing left on the freaking planet, yeah, I think I would have a tantrum like that, too. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I definitely get the emotion that that he had at that moment. So, again, like for me, I, I feel like the explanation was a very it's a very Star Trek uh, explanation, I feel. I really feel, feel like it is, especially when you go into the, the, the Trekno babble that Colbert, you know, and Adira gives to us as an explanation for that. I feel like it's a very Star Trek y uh, explanation. And I think I kind of grew to enjoy it uh, a little bit, you know, after, after letting it really set in. But I'm not quite sure I like it, but I think I accepted it a lot more than I did when they first revealed it. And Agreed. I think I'm kind of growing on it just from our conversation we've just had Clarence was you know I, I I wasn't really thinking about it happening in subspace so when you throw the subspace component into it it seems a lot more plausible to me like to me it was just hard to believe that that could physically affect space that far out but when we get to talking about subspace I mean throughout trick we know how sensitive subspace is like, I, I, I can see it, and I can accept that. Still a letdown. I still want it to burn to be something different, but I'm good with it. Any other thoughts before we move on? I don't think there's anything else that can be said that can alter my already skewed opinion of it. <laughs> Although we did get a couple of great quotes in this one. Uh, you know, there's a couple of good lines by Colbert. Uh, but Saru, to me, was my favorite quote of the episode. And it's... It's something good to keep in mind. And, you know, he tells a call, even in fear, you can still step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that was a great, like, I think that's exactly what Sakal needed to hear. Like, I don't think, you know, I think their original goal was we need to get him to the point where he's no longer fearful of this creature or moving on or going outside. But I think they finally understood that he would never really get rid of that fear. He just needed to learn how to work within that fear. So that line from Saru, I think is what did it for him. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because I had a theory that that monster had more to do with the story and they really played it up like it did. And really all the monster was as the story foretold us, which duh, is just a metaphor for his fear and the fear of, like you just said of him going past that barrier to the outside uh, to see what's actually going on. So, yeah, I really thinking back, I really like that. But they, man, they threw me for a loop. <laughs> I thought it meant more than it did. I think a lot of our problems, too, is we, we've gotten to the point where we want everything to be a secret tie in Easter egg somewhere or a grand. And, you know, we're not just again, as Jeremy saying, shutting up and watching the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and really, that's just kind of what these current iterations of Trek have kind of prepped us for 
and that might be why people, you know, there are people that really love Lower Decks, but Lower Decks isn't really trying to set up a mystery for anything for you or anything. It's just giving you a story. And this is what you got for this episode. And especially with Picard and Discovery, uh, more so on seasons two and three of Discovery than season one, they are setting you up for the from the jump with these different mysteries and this through line is going to last all season. And instantly we've just kind of gravitated onto that to, <laughs> to try to figure out what the heck is going on. All right. Tell the Lord Dex is like the extreme opposite example of that. <laughs> man, there are people that are die hard about Lord Dex, man. I'm surprised by it too, but there are people that are really die hard about it. I don't, and I hope you don't mind this Clarence, but I just want to like issue out a, like a call out to any of our fans that are like extreme Lord Dex fans. Like we really want to hear from you. <laughs> Like I, I would, I would actually like to have a conversation, not an argument, but a conversation. Like I, I maybe because you know throughout our conversations here, we've kind of changed each other's minds on different opinions we've had about the shows we reviewed, and maybe a very positive outlook of Laura Dix would help me with that. Yeah. Now I know our friend Alan Seiler. He's very high on Laura Dix. And also, uh, Eric Hetherington, I think he really loves Lower Decks as well. Um, but, but yeah, maybe we need to circle back to that after we, you know, finish this season up and maybe can dive into some, some of the other happenings from 2020, including, you know, we never did a, a recap of, of Picard, I don't think. So maybe we'll go back to that as well. Back at Federation headquarters, it's an all out assault on the sorrow, which includes attacking both the Discovery and the Viridian. Uh, Vance directs Voyager to attack the Viridian while all, all other vessels are directed uh, at Discovery. So once again, <laughs> I, I just never get this and they didn't explain it in an episode. This is one of my my gripes. They never give us a reason why Asara knows so much about the Federation. So. She knows that the Federation's primary shield emitter is being disguised as a, as a secondary deflector and she attacks it to get out of the distortion field. How does, how does she know so much? I'm leaving this open to anyone. Do you have any clue? Listen, I, I have no idea, but like she has to have a connection. Somebody has to be feeding her information. There is no other acceptable explanation and there's no way the writers would leave such an obvious plot hole so there's an explanation we hadn't got to it yet but i'm sure there's an explanation for it because we didn't know that and like you said it was never mentioned in the show so i mean nobody even knew where federation headquarters was so <laughs> I- <laughs> now she knows where the deflectors <laughs> like what yeah that's that's a lot that's a lot man i don't she knows how to reprogram Discovery, knows where the data core is. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, maybe, um, what's his name? Aurelio is just like super smart and knows everything. So I guess you could say that. But barring that, either they have like some Romulan esque spies everywhere or something else is going on. Now, maybe that information was stored in Discovery System somewhere and she got it from there. Fair enough. I'm stretching here. I'm stretching. Also, I'm going to stay with this little um, Federation scene here at Federation headquarters because I thought it was it was pretty freaking cool. Uh, I think that I think Kovic might be the president. 
of the Federation. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to get to. Like, I'm thinking that, too, because he's just way too comfortable and too uh, casual with the Admiral. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's either they're really good friends, family, or he's the president. Like, I, I would... I'm a, I'm 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 very much on board with that theory. Yeah. He's the only one in a suit. True. Very true. <laughs> so I'm gonna throw this to Kyle. Um Admiral Vance straight up puts Stamets on a civilian transport and sends him away from the battle. So thoughts on this scene and was it just me or was Stamets giving Burnham the side eye for the rest of the episode when he came back on? I don't know. He irritated me in this episode, even, you know, to further into the episode from where we are now. But he absolutely did. But I think the admiral did what he had to do, because at that point he is an asset. And, you know, yes, he he let his emotions get ahead of him, because I'm sure there's been many people who've had to make the decision. I mean, hey. Michael Burnham has had to do that over and over and over. He let his emotions rule him in that in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has that evil eye going for real. Cause it was like two or three <laughs> scenes they showed him. He was just like looking at her like, I'm going to choke you. <laughs> Dude, come on. L- let it go. I think they're setting up a old swaparoo here. Like, I think Stamets is going to leave the ship and Book is going to be the new spore drive operator. Huh. I don't know if Stamets will leave the ship, though. He has his family there. He's not after making that plea at the end of the last episode. I just don't see him leaving the ship. And maybe not permanently, but I'm I mean, and so possibly they like need Stamets like off of Discovery and at Federation headquarters to help refit some of the ships with the spore drive. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's the scientist who created it. Alright, and nobody else knows how to do that other than Stamets. I mean, he also can pilot it, but now we have another, so yeah, I, I mean, I see it, and it just kind of set up, because like the past couple of episodes we've just been kind of pushing Stamets to the back of our minds. Like, I kind of forget about him until he's in a scene. Yeah. Yeah. So the Navarians have sent a fleet to the Federation, as predicted, as we predicted in the last episode. And this is another part of the episode I had a problem with. Osiris plans to use chemical warfare, these pesticides, to get out of the situation. She says target the intakes of the starships and their shuttle bays. I mean, even if they did, would that even work in space? And aren't ships basically like self-contained environments? Like, why would targeting their... Do ships even have vents and intakes? Yeah, so you do have a warp manifold intake. So it, I don't exactly know what it's intaking. <laughs> but, I mean, I've, I've heard that throughout Trek, that they have exhaust vents. I guess it would be. Yeah, I've seen them purge stuff, but I haven't seen them really. I mean, we had the scoop thing from Riker in um, First Contact, but normally I don't. I don't think that's a unless it was just gonna be enough to like. Isn't fertilizer uh, very 
combustible. Maybe she's going to blow them up if we didn't get to that part. Yeah, but then you wouldn't need the shuttle bays and port doors and exhaust vents if you're just going to blow them up. Yeah. And even that, like you have uh, environmental filters and not going to let any chemicals in the ship anyway. So, <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about the bridge crew track. So the bridge crew are on the mission to wreak havoc for Asira. Um, but Asira has taken life support offline on the lower decks. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what are your overall thoughts on the bridge crew's mission to break the magnetic field of the, of a nacelle and moreover Tilly's leadership? In those moments. Well, she finally stepped up to the leader she could, that I felt like she could be. Um, she commanded their respect. She had, a, well, mostly a plan. And I, I, this is the moment I, I, I liked Tilly as first officer. Yeah. Up until now, I wasn't sure she had it in her, but I felt like she had it in her in this one. Yeah. So apparently there's another bridge crew member with dark hair and it's not Nielsen. I thought, I thought that character was Nielsen this whole time with dark hair, but apparently it wasn't. Lieutenant Ina? What? Am I the only one I've never seen this this lady until like two episodes ago? Did you guys notice her? No, I never noticed her. And honestly, I thought she was going to be like a red shirt character. Like, I figured they introduced somebody to so they could have like a suspenseful die off of a character, you know? Yeah, but they didn't do anything. That was weird. No, that was weird. They owed somebody a favor and they're like, I want a scene on your show. Uh, that's funny because I was just listening to the, um, the Delta Flyers with, uh, Tom Paris and Harry Kim. Uh, right. what are, what are their real names? Garrett Wang and, and Robert Duncan McNeil. <laughs> and they were talking about this time of the prince of some, some country overseas was on Star Trek. It was a pretty interesting conversation. <laughs> but anyway, hmm. not to get off track. So apparently Owo can, can hold her breath for a really long time. Um, yeah. Um, I just, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, but yeah, it came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm glad they featured her more because I really like her and I want to see more of her in action. But I'm like, where, why is this all the, it, it's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> it's very convenient to learn this information right now. Yeah. And I talked about that last week, it giving me information that's going to solve it for, a situation like the minute before we need it. Uh, they could have seen it a little bit, maybe a couple of episodes earlier, you know, but I don't see when she would have said or when she would have brought that up. So maybe there was no choice but to bring it up now. Yeah, but I would rather them show her doing something than them telling me she did something. Case in point. Oh, well, they're all out of there. And they say, how do you get out of there? Oh, well, she did this and she just held her breath. They showed it to me. Much rather have that than tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I did like that whole scene where they're, you know, everybody's <laughs> falling down from a lack of breath. And it seems like this nacelle scene, I'm sure 90% of it was CG, but it seems like they did build a few more set pieces for this episode that I thought were pre- pretty freaking fantastic. We know a lot of a lot of it was CG, but I still thought it looked fantastic on screen. I think it all looked fantastic. Like from the start of this series, I, I mean, I've not really seen a saw a scene that like screamed CG to me. Yeah, even though I know a lot of it has been, but that's just a credit to set designers and CG animators. Like it, it 
I have not once questioned or thought, oh, that's CG, you know? And even in a way that uh, Alentane Sasasami has been shooting, the way he shot his three episodes, especially the two uh, the two bookend episodes, they just really feel like freaking movies. This feels like yeah. a freaking yeah. movie, man, in every way. Yep. You took the words out of my mouth. That was my comment that I had about this. If you put those three together, absolutely easily, this is a Discovery movie. Yeah. 100%. And it looked like it. It looked like a movie. Yeah. In the, oh, I know we're going to get to it, but the scenes in the data core, the way it's shot, the way the action is shot, man, they're, they're yeah. just getting really good at shooting these episodes. Great fight scene, by the way. So let's move along to Booker in this episode and talk about him. So uh, Asi- just book it. Just book it. <laughs> <laughs> so Osira plans to torture Book, of course. Um, and I don't really have a lot of questions here, but any thoughts on? And I immediately go into a question. <laughs> but any any thoughts <laughs> on the whole? I don't have any formulated questions. But let's just talk about the whole book. Uh, torture scene, hand burn them, and we can even go into the whole turbo lift scene. Any thoughts on all of that? Um, I know I liked it aside from our problems of the open space and the turbo lift and, you know, definitely striking tones of, of Die Hard, like we said before. Um, but, but any of the thoughts on book and the, the turbo lift scene and even the escape from the, from sick bay? The sick bay scene, I I think would have been my favorite of all of them, uh, and I guess it's just because of the, it was not just the action, but it was also the thought into it, the the emotion into it, and man, Michael played it good. She played it perfect. Like I, I honestly thought she had gave in, like when she went to talk to Book by the bed, and you know I thought she was gonna tell him go ahead and tell him. Like I was not expecting that. Yeah, that so, came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. And then, man, Michael Burnham, she's like, I know you've been hurt and I know it, you're in a lot of pain, but, and I'm sorry, but I'm sorry because you're going to hurt worse. I'm like, oh crap, what is she about to do? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought she was going to like rip the thing off his head and it was going to really hurt. So I was expecting some kind of pain for him and I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh, also in that scene, um, Os- Osira shows Aurelio, Aurelio, her true colors even more and she like chokes the guy i'm like wow yeah, chokes him out <laughs> this is your top scientist and she is just like went flip mode on 100 percent. even so much so when and you know i'm jumping around here at the end of the episode when burnham beams all the regulators off somehow he's still there well he wasn't a regulator but he was part of their crew. You, yeah, but you tell the computer to beam off the regulators. That's what it did. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it did not beam off the invigorator. I like individual. I wanted them to be there. I love that. Ca- I love this character, actually. But yeah. anyway. Um, uh, now, the, the turbo lift scene, it was a great scene. Great fight scene. A lot of great cinematography. Like. You know, other than the obvious problem we mentioned, but I did have another small problem. Well, it's not even a problem. I was just kind of disappointed. Like when Michael said, cover me and she jumped out the turbo lift. Like I honestly thought she was going to like get on another turbo lift and come around <laughs> to the other side to help book, but she just kind of left him. 
Yeah, she did leave, leave him. Which she had a bigger task at hand, and I get it. But, I mean, if you're going to leave him for dead then, why not leave him for dead in the sick bay? Yeah, but see, don't forget, we haven't seen a year's worth of those two interacting with each other. So yeah. this could be something they've done before, and it's just yeah. natural. It's an unsaid thing between them. Bingo. Well, she did mention something when they were in the corridor. She said, you remember such and such, so it's going to be a lot worse. Yeah, that whole scene, man, honestly, it if <laughs> I know I keep talking about Star Wars. But Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, <laughs> when Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan are in Coruscant riding on the speeder, like, it, it feels so much like that scene, man. The way they're jumping around and stuff. But yeah. I did like it. I did See, like it. I was going to bring that up way earlier, but I felt like I would have been just, like, sent away. <laughs> I brought up another Star Wars reference. Oh, man. But I will say, I, do, I did love the moment in the episode when Burnham is attempting to hack in the turbo lift and uh, Burnham tells him two minutes, you know, typical Star Trek thing. I'm gonna give you the max amount of time. And then book says 15 seconds. And then like he rushes her again. She's like, it hasn't been 15 seconds. It, I just thought that was really funny how they played it. That. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But old book held his own in the uh, fighting those uh, regulators or whatever they call it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's his name? Zaha- Zara. Yeah, Zara. Oh, book got some skills, man. Hey, he was like, uh, what do you say? I wonder which one to uh, make the biggest spot down there. You or the cat? Oh, uh, that yeah, that was not a smart move. <laughs> you should not have done that. <laughs> she is a queen. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. <laughs> the line of the episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty good, man. That was awesome. That was awesome. So, I got a question. Have you ever seen a ship's data core? I really had to think about this. I and looked I- it up, and I'm, I've seen some references of a data core, but it's been in, like, in a space sta- couple of space stations, but never, like, an actual ship. I don't think we have. And again, we're talking about some more space. <laughs> <laughs> like all the space the turbo lifts take up and you had room for a data core too but it would make sense that the data core is so far away from everything and so hard to get to which i guess doesn't yeah. matter since they have instant transporters or personal transporters but i like the placing of it to be so far away from everything but good question have we seen a data core before Guys, if you're listening and you know if we've seen a data core before in Star Trek, <laughs> write in and let us know because I'm I can't think of a time we've seen one before, and it, especially not in the way we saw it here, where it's this awesome, beautiful set. <laughs> yeah. That oh man, they put some money into this episode. <laughs> yeah, they did. You know, a lot of that that data core could have just been an upgrade that we have never seen before. Like that's just current technology now. Because, I mean, you are we are using programmable matter. Yeah. And you see that storage of programmable matter in the data core. At least that's what I assume that to be. Did you not think that was programmable matter? I don't think the whole thing. Well, I think it was already there before because Burnham reboots it to the original operating system. Or at least she says she yeah. does. Because cause she, um, she reboots it to the original pre-future operating system. Well, I mean, maybe the, there's always been a data core, but like the data core previously has been 
like a computer console and engineering, but yeah, now possible. we got programmable matter. They had to build a whole room, but possible. you're right. I don't know. But like you said, it was a beautiful scene. I like that they put it there. Like I said, another thing that made it feel like a movie, man. Um, so Burn uh, again. You mentioned earlier the fight scene was fantastic between between Osira and Burnham. I was really surprised that Osira didn't make it. Uh, the Wicked Witch is dead, Cal. Um, were you happy to see Osira go? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, I was quite happy. Uh, it it shocked me that they killed her because she was such a huge character. And when we talk about this this armistice that she was trying to put in place with Vance, it seemed like. They had a future for that character, and I was just kind of shocked that they killed her, or that Burnham killed her. Um, or maybe she's not dead. She gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, well, she almost kills Burnham in that moment, pushing her into the programmable programmable matter wall. I was kind of shocked that Burnham emerged from that in one piece. Yeah. And she was coughing up programmable matter. (laughs) I think there's going to be a point for season four. I don't, I don't think that's over. I think we're going to see that come back for something, some reason. Mm, She still has it in her. Maybe. Hmm. And she'll be the new control. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if they let control into this century, it'll be over. Oh, yeah. That that would be absolutely terrible. Quick like. Absolutely terrible. So what was the uh, I, can, I needed an explanation for the energy, the like energy blast coming from the walls in the data core. What, what was that? Energy blast. So, you know, they kept getting caught in like this shock when mm. Osiris and Michael were fighting. Yeah, I guess I really didn't think about it too much. I need to go back and watch it now. I know what you're talking about, but I just didn't, huh? Maybe it's just like a security measure or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I don't know. Still a good scene, though. Still a good scene. Fantastic scene. So back on the bridge, <laughs> I love Detmer's comment when they were talking about the older operating system. He's like, and, and um, I can't say that I mind too much. <laughs> something to that effect. Because <laughs> you know she hates the new tech. Uh, yeah. And Okay, let's let's get into book replacing Stamets. So apparently a normal telepath slash empath. I'm not sure what the difference is. Maybe you guys can help me. But a normal empath cannot not talk, will not feel and connect. I think that I think the difference here with book is that he can connect as well. So are you saying um, the difference? Are you asking for the difference between a telepath and an empath? Yeah. Do you know the difference? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So an, a telepath can actually communicate, meaning words, read thoughts, uh, influence thoughts, so forth and so on. An empath can feel and project emotion or feel like anger. Like, for instance, Deanna Troy, she could always tell what they were feeling, not what they were thinking. Uh that's the difference in the telepath and empath, at least with Marvel comics. No, I think that's consistent with what we see in Star Trek. Yeah. And you're right. That, I and mean, they explain that, I think, is either Deanna Troy or Roxana Troy. She was kind of explaining the Beta Z empath abilities. And I mean, that was an explanation because I think they wanted, I don't remember which one it was in which episode, but they wanted her to do something telepathic. And she had to explain that 
my abilities are only empathic. I can sense and read emotions, but I cannot control or alter thought. Hmm. Which he mentions book is an empath, but if he can communicate, well, I guess communication, because you had uh, Troy talking to that other telepath on TNG, that episode where he kind of tried to take over her mind or something, and she could communicate. But see, an, uh, another telepath can communicate. So like if uh, I have yeah. telepathy, I can communicate with you. With I can send empath. my thought, but I can also receive yours. So, right, right, so right, right. empath is like a, a downgrade in a bit. That, that Basically. Was, yeah. Yeah. But he's an empath that can also connect. So doesn't that make him? A, I don't know. I'm confused. Okay. So, 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 so let me say this. You're really, really mad and you project your anger to me. I may not hear you say I'm mad, but I am feeling that emotion fr- coming from you. So I read, don't mess with this dude because he's mad. Okay. So it's more emotional than actual thought per se, per verbatim thought, thought, I guess. Mm. Either way, I'm okay with it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, but so, so Aurelio devises that books should be able to operate the spore drive. That was like a huge shock to me because I never, ever saw that coming. He could even free these bugs from his planet. He can talk to mycelial network. Really? Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this whole happening here? You know, I did not have an issue with that at all, actually. Huh. Clear. was like, I was sure you had a problem with it. <laughs> I, I know why he doesn't have a problem with it. We were all irritated at Stamets. So this was like, oh, yeah. you can do it now. Uh, oh, bye, knock, his, knock his butt down a peg or two. I was okay with it. I'm... I'm and it, they hid it from us pretty well. Like, if why didn't we theorize that, you know? But it makes so much sense when you look back. Because he was talking to the yeah. plant in the very first episode when he was trying to get that ointment to heal Burnham. And the explanation to you saying, you know, he couldn't talk to the little insects on his planet. But, you know, they could when they had Discovery help them amplify it. And I think that's kind of what that spore chamber does for Stamets is kind of allow that communication so it probably amplifies it. So instantly the Quajanese, Quajun, Quajani, I don't know what the Quajan people, um, are sort of like Poe. Um, they reminded me of Poe when they, when they, when we got this revelation, because all of a sudden their planet is like <laughs> with the sport technology is one of the most important yeah. people, um, in, in the galaxy all of a sudden. Right. But we also know that not all Quajan can, Communicate like that. Yeah, true, true. So we're definitely going to see um, books. I'm holding on quotes here. Brother on another ship. <laughs> that would be cool, though. I also felt like the. Okay, well, let me let me say this real quick. The Viridians actually swallows Discovery up whole. So that reminded me of an Enterprise episode with the one where Trip is is. Uh, with Trip getting consumed by the little orb things. Oh, yeah. When they took, they switched places with their uh, corporeal beings. The little aliens took over their corporeal beings and sent their mental thing to another paradox or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I just watched that episode, actually. Yeah, that visual of it getting swallowed up reminded me of that a little bit. 
Let's go ahead and get into the aftermath here. And I have a few things jotted down. And I'll let either one of you take these as you so choose. We don't have to cover all of them, but I'll give you the list here. Dot 23s restored. Trill have rejoined the Federation with Navarre considering. Saru returns to Kaminar. Lieutenant Sahil makes a return. Captain Burnham. New uniforms. Let's fly. <laughs> Anybody want to take any of those? That it sounds mm. interesting to them. I do not like the new uniforms. You did not like the uniforms. I do not. They look awkward on Discovery. They look like tracksuits. <laughs> they look well. They look awkward on Discovery, but Discovery uniforms look awkward. 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 But Discovery uniforms look awkward at Federation headquarters. So yeah. I wonder if they're going to change the aesthetic a little bit of Discovery. But it, it yeah, it looks weird. It looks weird. <laughs> I liked it. I really liked them. And maybe I'm DS9. I'm kind of used to the gray and black now. Mm. See, I like the Discovery uniforms. Those are, those are one of my favorite uniforms, actually. I mean, they were cool, but I like the gray, man. It's, it's kind of a modern, simplistic, minimalist type. I liked it. Although the only thing I don't like about it is the rank bars on the front of the collar that just looked awkward yeah you have that and i don't know if i love the stripe the stripe on the gray just looks weird and again i think it just looks weird on discovery when they're in federation headquarters it all looks great i i I don't know if i like the medical being white now they've they've kept going with the white and even eli was white had a white uniform so maybe that's just what it is now i don't know if i like that too much what are you saying? You wish they had a change medical? Well, I wish it would be blue like it, it is in other Star Trek. Medical has always been white. No, it hasn't. And in, in Discovery? Or are yeah, you talking about Dis- the rest of Trek? Yeah, Discovery. Yeah. I'm talking about the rest of Trek. <laughs> oh. Well, maybe I'm like, I love the white. Like, I wish the rest of Trek medical would have been white. But then you're talking to a colorblind guy. So white, black, gray. <laughs> that's all my wheelhouse there. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. I like the new uniforms. They they were cool. Um, now I do want to address uh, the Saru thing. Well, Saru returns to Kaminar to help aid uh, Sukal in in um, I guess reacclimating to Kelpian society. <laughs> Thoughts? Really? <laughs> 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 so when I mentioned at the top of the show, I had the one problem, which we've kind of busted up a few more throughout this conversation. But the one problem I had, and even from the first watch was it's just, and Jeremy and I kind of discussed this earlier. I mean, we, we kind of all knew that Burnham would eventually become captain like that. Inevitable. Yeah. But it just kind of seemed like way too convenient that old Saru is going to stay on Kavanaugh. So you're going to be the captain. Like I, I, I get. I have no problem with Burnham getting the captain's chair, and man, she earned it. She really did. But it just kind of feels like, you know, how you watch those shows, and maybe the specific actor was fired or had to leave the show or moved on, or you know, like usually they write them off like in a hurry and something like that. That's kind of what this felt like, and we know Saru is not going anywhere. But this kind of seemed like a rush to get Doug Jones out, you know? Yeah, especially since we've been teasing Tilly the entire season. 
to to move up in rank, and then all of a sudden Doug Jones is gone. Yeah. Uh, now I couldn't catch Tilly's uniform. Did I don't know if she actually got a promotion or not? Because you know she's still ensign, so she still can get a promotion to lieutenant commander. Yeah. That's hmm. going to be a big jump, though, isn't it? I mean, I mean it's, it's happened before. Yeah, but. I mean, it's happened before. She is the first officer. Hmm. It does feel a little bit too convenient. That being said, I'm not mad about it because no, not at all. I, 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 that one moment we get her directing discovery or captaining or commanding discovery as we get out of this Viridian battle cruiser, it was amazing. <laughs> yes. So I'm like, yeah, more of that. I'm I I I want more of that. I'm down. <laughs> she definitely belongs in that chair. Like I'm 100 percent in agreement with Giorgio. I just, it feels like, I hate to knock the writers because they do a great job, but it just feels like they wrote this in out of convenience. But but no, John, we got that speech from Vance. Well, you know, sometimes my kids do things I don't like, <laughs> but they wind up getting the job done. <laughs> I don't mean I get it. I'm good with that. But like, maybe if, you know, Saru... I don't know. I just needed a better explanation. Maybe that I just don't see Saru having to be on that planet. What's the call? Like right now. Well, well, let me just add this real quick. Again, think of where Saru came from, from season one, the long Kelpian to leave the planet. Um, his season two, his planet being under the hostile control of the Bayul. And, you know, by the end of season two, they're totally free and, you know, independent and now we get in this future they become a member of the federation an integral member of the federation and i can definitely see after living all those years not knowing if his people existed or if they even would advance to being where they are now and he's hearing all these stories of uh, he heard the story from Dr. Issa about, you know, you go in the waters and you, you float in the salt water. You know, he's hearing all the things about his planet and he know they're, they're, they've advanced. They're an integral member of the Federation now. I can see him wanting to go spend time at home, you know, take a leave of absence. Yeah. You know, I, I, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I, I can go with that. But I can you, go with that. But you know, I mentioned this to Jonathan earlier. I'd wish that Saru had been part of the conversation when they were promoting her to captain. Instead of just being it is been in the room instead of just being a afterthought. Yeah, it would have maybe felt a little bit better if he was standing there too. Yeah, maybe like took off his insignia and put it on her uniform or something. You know, just kind of give it a little bit of closure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can I just say this? Is the captain of the Discovery like the new defensive against the Dark Arts Minister? Because this is the fourth captain we've had in three seasons. <laughs> To their defense, the only real captains we got for sure was uh, Lorca and Saru, and now Burnham at the very end. And And Pike. Pike was temporary. Well, there was also one they were supposed to pick up from Vulcan before Pike took it over. That's true. But we never found out who it was. Which which means nothing now, but it just seems like every time, every every season is a new captain. (laughs) <laughs> and Saru was temporary for, you know, the first five, four or five episodes of this. Well, first three or four episodes of this season. Right. <sighs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's like a revolving door <laughs> of captains. <laughs> it's well, never mind. I ain't gonna say that. <laughs> 
<laughs> She's a good ship. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. Um, now, Clarence, you did mention the dot twenty threes. Yeah, I want to hear your take on that. Um, so the dot twenty three did save Owa Owasakan from from being, you know, I think. Well, we didn't mention this before, but whoever was slated to go take the bomb to the nacelle wasn't coming back. So, you know. I thought it was pretty cool to see the dot 23 actually save sacrifice, it, sacrifice itself a little bit to save Oa. Um, but yeah, I don't know where they're going with that. I thought that at first they would, you know, just let the data, the entity data, like, you know, temporary reside, temporarily reside in one of the dot 20, in a dot 23s until, you know, they get the ship back. But I really have no idea where they're going with it now. I do like the idea of a sentient, robot helper worker bee thing. I think that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it like undervalues what the entity data could mean for, for the show. Yeah. It'll probably eventually get transferred back to the ship. But I, I, now I'll tell you what bothered me about the dot 23s during that whole uh, bridge crew battle scene fight to get to the nacelle. Like, the dot twenty threes were like just getting destroyed left and right, <laughs> and I'm like every time boys get destroyed, I'm like the sphere data. <laughs> what happened? And then they come around, and nobody's saying anything. They're like they're like standing behind these things, like yeah, shoot that first. <laughs> I'm like the sphere data. You're you're killing. You're destroying the sphere yeah. data. So in my mind, I was thinking of thinking of it more as like a symbiotic relationship between the dot twenty threes. You know, I'm sure they're wireless networked or whatever. So I figured like the data was in all of them. You know, you had to destroy uh, all of them to get rid yeah. of it. I got you. I got you. So it not necessarily like, that it's local storage. It's more of a cloud storage idea between yeah. the dot 23s. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And that makes more sense. Because I was like, man, y'all just all willy nilly letting these things get destroyed. <laughs> and we just found out they got the sphere data. Like that's just that's <laughs> bothering me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they were falling <laughs> left to right, though. But oh man, awesome, awesome scenes with the bridge crew, man. Um, that cannot be overstated how fantastic that was to see them. Yeah, Tilly lead them to to try to sabotage the ship. Tilly was awesome, man. I, I Tilly has to have her own command one day. I I'm, 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 may not be Discovery, but it's coming. Yeah, you know, man. I f- I felt it was a nice bookend to see Sahil come back. As a lieutenant now, yes. uh, that yeah. you know had all the feel seeing him actually talk to Burnham and see the journey they've come in what a few years to be at this point. I just thought it was it was freaking phenomenal. Yeah, and the, the smile on his face, the look on his face was just priceless. When yeah, he was receiving that rank. Yeah, that's a new meaning to dedication. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. I wonder if he's the hope. He's the real hope. I don't know if it's Burnham. <laughs> that hope yeah, is you, Sahil. <laughs> Maybe he'll be the new president after we find out who's the real president and uh-huh. kill him off or something. Oh, I like it. I like it. So let's talk about these. Uh, sequ- Go ahead. Well, I don't know. Where, I was just going to say, I, I just got another question. And I'm going to shut up because I feel yeah. like I've been talking. No, like go for it, time. man. Go for it. Uh, I just, you know, we we mentioned Voyager already and we've had. A couple of scenes where Voyager was mentioned, and especially 
uh, when Burnham was ejecting the warp core, she said signal Voyager and the vibe, whatever and the, the Navarian crew ships. to back off. Yeah. So, I mean, if she said Voyager, so that has to be like a prominent federal. Is that the new flagship? Did I miss that somewhere? I don't know because, cause he said Voyager. Well, speaking of Vance, he said Voyager and the other ships. He didn't really call them out by name. I don't think. But he definitely yeah, the only one he said was Voyager. He told them to take the lead. Yeah, on yeah. the attack. I mean, he told Voyager to attack the Viridian, Viridian. which I would send my most powerful ship to attack the Viridian. Yeah, that would be cool if Voyager is the like Federation flagship right now. Yeah, that would be freaking amazing. Now, I will say I'm not a huge fan of the design of the Voyager. The Voyager, a Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Voyager. Um, <laughs> uh, it looks weird to me. It's a little too pointy angles for me, but I need to get a good picture of it because I don't think I've gotten a clearer picture of what it yeah, actually looks like. Yeah, I hadn't like. either. I hadn't either. I I, I kind of tried to, and I I spent probably ten minutes trying to rewind this episode and get a good visual of it, and I just really couldn't. All right, well, let's talk about the the the, the warp sig- warp signature, the warp uh statement. Call sign, what do you call it? The the catchphrase. <laughs> can I call the, it warp signature? The, can I can I coin that? No. <laughs> the warp signature is how you identify the ship. We're gonna call it the I don't know what to call it, man. Warp me. I'll call it the engage term. <laughs> the command phrase, I like that too. But what about this let's fly? Thoughts? I'm okay with it. It's this not great. It's not bad. It works. It fits Burnham. It doesn't fit the ship. I can agree with that. It, it definitely fits Burnham because I can see her. I think the way she delivers it, I can see her yeah. saying it in almost any situation. All right, let's fly. You know, I can see her saying it very casually. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> Discovery doesn't really fly that much. It jumps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does fly. You call that flying, but I guess it's flying. It's in space, but mm. listen, you cannot replace Engage. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, they got it right the first time. Make it so Engage. Like, that's it. Like, you, you just have to stick. I would have felt better if she had said Engage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, like like the uniforms, I think it has to grow on me. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably will. It probably will. But real quick, we have to talk about that quote we got at the very end of the episode as the episode ended from Gene Roddenberry. In a very real sense, we are all aliens on a strange planet. We spend most of our lives reaching out and trying to communicate. If during our whole lifetime, we could reach out and really communicate with just two people, we are indeed very fortunate. Words on the Great Bird. Thought it was awesome. Pretty fitting for that episode and our current world situation. Amen to that. Yeah. I like that. That's the biggest problem. And usually the biggest problem in any situation that there's a problem is the communication and connection. So just think, man, that far, that long ago and these ideals still fit for today. We always say that. Yeah. Think with these Trek stories, man. Yeah. They when they apply them to life, this when they those simple ones when they apply them to things in life actually wind up being some of the better ones. All right, yeah, 
Also, hashtag Stamets Stank Eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know one more thing I want to get to. I know it's, we've been talking about a lot of crap. Uh, so, you know, when Burnham asks, you know, what do we got or whatever the case may be until he says we got to deliver the lithium to blah, 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 blah. And she also says a space station that wants to thank us and share some of their specialty gelato. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know what the gelato do think- was a reference to. Well, I kind of tried to do some research. I really want that to be DS9. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, <laughs> I love DS9. But, you know, DS9 has the... Uh, High Sprite? But, no, no, no. The Bajoran, It's a Bajoran treat called uh, Jamja Stick. Oh. And it's like a gelatin on a stick. Interesting. So I don't know. I, I I thought that was I tried to research it because I figured they put that in there to kind of give you a hint as to, you know, something in the next season. But I couldn't find anything. And I was hoping maybe you or anybody listening would know. Oh, the only other time gelato is mentioned. Well, I'm looking at memory alpha. It is mentioned when uh, Queen Poe, Mihana Ikahali Kapo. And Tilly are in the runaway short trick when she's in the mess hall eating all that food. Gelato is mentioned then. And that might be the only other time it's mentioned in Trek. Interesting. I'm going to, I'm just, to make myself feel good about it, I'm going <laughs> to say we're going to DS9 next season. <laughs> Man, I really want to, that would be awesome though. That would be amazing to go to DS9. It would be. I mean, but I mean, the chances of that station still existing 900 years late. Well, it's not 900 years later, actually. 800 and something. Yeah. I mean, I guess upgrades and retrofits could still be there. Yeah. And I wonder if there are they going to explore. Of course, we're going to explore getting Navarre into the Federation sometime next season. But I wonder if they're going to go back to Earth and try to get Earth reconnected again. That's that should be interesting. Man, you know. I forgot all about Earth. <laughs> United Earth Defense Force. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't they have to? Yeah, I would hope they do. Like, you can't have Federation without Earth. All right. Well, let's wrap up the episode. Let's go around and get everybody's rating for the episode. I'll go first. I'm giving it a five. Love, 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 love. Zero complaints. What about you, Jeremy? I hate to do this, but I'm going to give it a four. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, it, it happens, man. Uh, um, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I had just, there's just a few issues I just can't get past. Yeah, and I, I'm with you, man. I I definitely had issues myself, but my overall enjoyment just far surpassed any issues. So they kind of just you know I just forget about them because I, I I had a joy in watching this episode. What about you, John? Uh. Really, I can't. I mean, you pretty much said my feelings exactly. I, like I said, the first time I watched it, I, like, I absolutely loved it. The second time I watched it, and after talking to Jeremy about it, I kind of started picking it apart. But, <laughs> you know, if you take it for what it is and you watch it for the show itself, like you just watch it for entertainment value, I loved it. And I have to say five. Awesome sauce. All righty. So, with that said, um, let's see what everybody's been working on podcast related otherwise. And let's start with you, Jeremy. What, what, what you been up to, man? Now there's Discovery's over. I'm going to start watching The Mandalorian so I can kind of enjoy that and not have to cycle between the two. But that's really it. All right, man. What about you, John? 
Uh, so not much, man. I'm still watching Trek. Uh, my wife decided she wants to start watching Voyager again. So watching that with her and I'm probably season three, episode four of Enterprise. Again, man, a must watch for everybody that's enjoying Discovery. I think it is. I've seen a lot of tie-ins from Enterprise to not really tie-ins, but it kind of gives you a good frame of reference for things we're seeing in Discovery. Uh, so that's definitely a watch. And what else? What else? What else? Man, that's about it. Everything's ending, you know? This is that <laughs> time of year where, you know, TV starts to get boring. Everything is ending and nothing has begun. So... I'm waiting for a few things. Snowpiercer should be starting on the 25th. That's an awesome show on TNT. Uh, and Expanse. I'm still waiting on that next episode. But other than that, that's it, man. Yeah. And as for me, I've just been um, catching up with Expanse. Definitely enjoyed the last episode of that. Um, and actually, I think Snowpiercer is on HBO Max now, the back season. So I may start watching it since you give it a you give it a recommendation. Um, you will love it, I promise you. Yeah. And that's about it for me, actually. And, you know, of course, um, we'll be reviewing older Who stuff on on Discussing Who. But, you know, that's about it for me, man. And for anyone listening, we have an episode coming in about two weeks. And after that, we'll be back with maybe a wrap up of this season. And I think I maybe even want to do an episode where we talk about some of our favorite stuff from 2020 Star Trek universe. So you may do that as well sometime in the coming weeks. But if you've like made it with the, through this with us through all of these, what 13, 23 weeks of Star Trek. Um, thanks for being along for the ride. It's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been a lot to actually review every week, but it's been a lot of fun. And, if you've been listening since the jump and you're still here again, just thank you for being along for the ride. And if you want to, you know, write in and tell us about anything, always you can hit us up at Discussing Trek or fans at DiscussingTrek.com. Yeah, another season is in a can, guys. So until yes, next time, sir. live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who. Exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at DiscussingWho.com. Discussing Network.